How many of you know the name Charlie Taylor? Maybe you went to school with a Charlie Taylor. That's not the one I'm talking about. Back in the 1800s, early 1900s, there was a guy named Charlie Taylor that was a mechanical genius. And at 12 years of age, he dropped out of school and worked for the Nebraska State Journal. And after a few years of doing that, there were two men who came to him wanting to offer him a job because of his mechanical genius. And Charlie Taylor took that job, and the goal of that job was for him to come up with an engine that was light enough, yet powerful enough, to propel an aircraft through the air. Charlie Taylor was employed by Orville and Wilbur Wright, and he accomplished that goal. Orville and Wilbur were able to propel an aircraft 120 feet above the ground, which at that time wasn't all that unusual. Other people were doing that. But the amazing thing about Charlie Taylor's invention was that you could steer the aircraft and not die. A chance encounter between Orville and Wilbur Wright and Charlie Taylor changed the course of history. And we see this over and over again through history, don't we? We see people who had a chance encounter, who come together, who change the course of not only their lives, but the lives of everyone to follow, kind of like Alexander Graham Bell and Thomas Watson, Henry Ford, Thomas Edison. A chance encounter between John Lennon and Paul McCartney produced probably the greatest songwriting duo of all time. You have Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak. They meet in college, they start Apple from Jobs' garage, right? Over and over again, we see this, and we see it in Scripture, don't we? We see people who had an encounter with Jesus, and it changed everything. Some people had an encounter with Jesus, and they decided to walk away, unfortunately. Some people had an encounter with Jesus, and they learned to walk. Some people had an encounter with Jesus, and they didn't walk away at all. Instead, they decided to follow. Everyone needs that someone in their lives who says, I believe in you. I trust you. Don't give up. Believe in yourself. And we see an encounter with Jesus over and over again in Scripture, and we see that it changes lives. Look with me at Luke chapter 5, and beginning in verse 1. It says, On one occasion... While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake Genasaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch." And Simon answered, Master, we, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both of their boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything 
and followed him. You know what really kind of irks me? is when I'm pretty good at something and someone feels a need to coach me on it. You know, when I was living in Cassville, I played a lot of golf and I was playing in a tournament one time with this gentleman and I shanked a ball out into the woods and he goes, do you like hitting it in the woods? And I go, no. And he goes, well then quit hitting it over there. And I thought, I'll beat you over the head with this club, you know, quit. <laughs> I, I don't want somebody coaching me while I'm playing. I certainly don't want somebody coaching me on something that they're not as good at. Not long ago, I was home for a a little spell, and I was out at my dad's pond. He has a rather large, large pond that you can fit a boat in. And he's got this little John boat that he's cut in half, and he's welded a back onto it. So it's a two-person boat. Zane sits in the front. I sit in the back. I paddle around. We fish. We were coming into shore. We'd been out there a while. We'd, we'd had enough. And as I'm coming into shore, my dad's telling me, hey, why don't you take the oar, grip it about halfway down, and just make figure eights behind the boat, and that's a lot easier. I wouldn't have any trouble getting to shore. I mean, I'd row on one side, row on the other. We were coming in straight. We were about there. But I did what he asked me to do. He's my father. Respect your elders, right? So I, I, I tried, and, and it's not easy. I mean, it was a whole lot harder than what I was doing. So I get to the shore, and he goes, here, let me show you what I was talking about. So he pushes the boat out. He gets out there, and he starts doing his figure eights, and he's not going anywhere. <laughs> and I didn't say anything. So he decides, well... Let me, let me get a, a better grip on things. So he, he, he grips the oar tighter, and he stands up in the boat to kind of show me what he's talking about. And guess what happens? Yeah, he falls over. My method did not require you to fall out of the boat, by the way. And I made it to shore just fine. Like, don't coach me on something when I'm doing it fine, unless you're an expert in it. If I'm playing golf with Tiger Woods, I'm all fine with him telling me how to play better, right? When I was in Court Charlotte, our first basketball game was on a Friday night. My very first experience as a head coach, the first game, it was a close game. We ended up getting beat. And that Sunday morning, I walked into church, and I no more got through the doors, and this gentleman met me, and he started telling me all the things that I did wrong on Friday night. He got a piece of paper, and he was drawing plays to show me what I needed to do better. And I stopped him, and I said, Sir, we're not doing this. Do you understand me? I come to church to worship. You're not going to coach me on basketball and how to coach basketball. Do you understand me? And he was not happy. His face got red. My, el uh, my superintendent was an elder at the church. I told him about it. He goes, oh, that guy, he's never played basketball. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But it's irritating, right? When somebody tries to t teach you or coach you on something, that they don't know as much as you do, or perhaps they don't know what they're talking about. Peter had fished all night. He didn't catch anything. And he comes in. He's getting everything put away, washing the nets, and Jesus commandeers his boat, turns it into his pulpit, and tells Peter to roam around as he teaches. And I can imagine, you know, Peter yawning and wiping his eyes and thinking to himself, i got a whole lot of other things to do. Now remember, this is an encounter at this point. Jesus is not following, or excuse me, Peter is not following Jesus at this point. It's just an encounter. And imagine the mindset of Peter thinking, I've got a million other things to do. This is not what I had planned. I just want to go home. I just want to get my boat put up. I just want to, I want to get out of here. But Jesus finishes his teaching, and then he tells Peter to go out into the deep and cast your nets. Jesus tells a professional fisherman to go out into the deep and cast your nets. Imagine how Peter must have been feeling, kind of like me walking into church that Sunday. 
Peter must have been thinking, I know where the fish are. They're not out there. They're certainly not out there in the middle of the day. I fished all night. This is not the time to be fishing. You're going to tell me how to do this? But he did it. And that's an important detail to remember. So he goes out, and of course you know what happens. He casts out his net. He catches more fish than he can handle. He has to call the other boat over there. The boats are so full they begin to sink. In the midst of Peter's frustration, perhaps, his disappointment from fishing all night, not being able to catch anything, in the midst of exhaustion, Peter responds to Jesus with four words that changed everything depending on what version you use, but at your word, or if you say so. If you say so, I'll do it. He does, and it changed the course of Peter's life forever. Right? Do you see that? At your word. Think about the magnitude of those words. Think about the magnitude of if you say so. Teachers, wouldn't you love to hear from your students if you say so rather than, oh, do we have to? Parents, wouldn't you love to hear that from your child if you say so rather than why? Why do we have to do that? Elders, wouldn't you love to hear from the members if you say so rather than I don't think so? Even if those words are spoken with little conviction, even if they showcase a bit of hesitation or maybe even a lack of confidence for the one doing the asking, if you say so is better than I don't think so. You ever seen the movie The Princess Bride? What's the one thing Wesley always says to Princess Buttercup? As you wish. As you wish. What if that was our mindset as a disciple? Jesus, I, I don't understand. I don't see the bigger picture that you see. I don't fully get it, but if you say so. Jesus, I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I don't, I don't see what you're getting at, but if you say so, I'll do it. When everything inside of you is screaming out, I don't understand. I don't know why. Can you still say, if you say so? But at your word? Again, keep in mind, Peter is not a full-on apostle at this point. This is an encounter. And this encounter changed everything. The life of a disciple is an if-you-say-so lifestyle. It has to be. If that's not your lifestyle, then you're not truly a disciple. What that means is that we trust in God, we surrender to His will in the absence of clarity, even when things don't make sense, we still are all in. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. It says, by faith, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, this is Noah, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household, by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, who designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. It was completely illogical for any of these three to believe in what God was saying. But if you say so, 
If you say so, God, I'll launch out away from my comfortable homeland and, and I'll go and I'll engage in battle and I'll, I'll go through all these trials and tribulations not knowing where I'm going, not with a map or a GPS, but if you say so, I'll go do it. For Noah, if you say so, I'll build an ark. I realize, you know, I'm going to be mocked and ridiculed and it's going to be a hundred years before this whole thing comes to fruition, but if you tell me to, okay, I'll do it. Sarah, you're going to have a baby at 90? I mean, it's, it's laughable, right? And yet, if you say so, I'll do it. Because if God says something, we can take it to the bank. And if he says so, then okay. Do we have that mindset? Like Peter, can we say, if you say so? Because you say so, I will love my neighbor as myself. Because you say so, I will love my enemies. If you say so, I will turn the other cheek. If you say so, I will forgive others because I have been forgiven. Because you say so, I will consider it joy when I face various trials. Because you say so, I will keep the marriage bed undefiled. Because you say so, I'll remain pure until I'm married. Because you say so, I'll follow your will. Even when I don't completely understand it, even when it, don't, when it doesn't make sense, if you say so, I'm going to do it. Because you're God and I'm not. Because I trust in you and I trust in your will and I trust that you know what's best for me. If you say so, that's all I need to hear. I wrote an article this week about a student at the University of Louisville who uh, won the right to compete in a contest at halftime of a Louisville Cardinals basketball game. The contest was this. You had to make a layup, a free throw, a three-pointer, and a half-court shot all in a certain amount of time. And if you did that, if you accomplished all that, you got $38,000 in tuition uh, and scholarship money. And so this gentleman starts the contest. He makes the layup easily. He makes the free throw pretty easily. A couple of tries, he makes the three-pointer. He backs up. He gathers himself, takes a deep breath. He runs up, and he launches the half-court shot, and he makes it. Nothing but net. And the crowd goes wild, and, and he goes wild, and he's running around and cheering because he had just won $38,000. Except he didn't. Because there was some fine print in the contest rules. You could not have played basketball at a high school level or higher within six years of competing in the contest. So he was disqualified. I think some people look at discipleship the same way. I think some people look at their relationship with God the same way and they're afraid he's going to read the fine print and they're afraid they're going to look at your life really closely and that God's going to look at your life real closely and say, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh yeah, you have that baggage. I, I completely missed that. God's going to read the fine print and go, oh, you have that addiction. Yeah, sorry. No, you're disqualified. Look, folks. The day that Jesus got into that boat with Peter, he knew everything about Peter. Everything. There was not a single thing hidden from his sight. Peter was completely exposed. He knew about the boldness of Peter in John 6 when he would stand up and say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. He knew that Peter would stand wielding a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane and chop off that guy's ear. He knew that Peter would say, even if we have to die with you, we're behind you, 100%. And he knew that Peter would deny him three times. He knew all of it. And yet God 
Jesus saw Peter as worthy of investing in a relationship with him. So don't think that God's going to read the fine print of your life and say, nope, you're disqualified, because that's not how this works. Notice, again, Luke 5 and 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I want you to think about Peter's obedience here. What is he leaving behind? Jesus knew everything about Peter. What did Peter know about Jesus at this point? Very little. He knew enough to know that he was in the presence of deity and moved to obedience. He left a lucrative business. He left his boat, his nets. He left his family. He launched out in a life of discipleship. But he says these words that seem a little bit strange, a little funny at first. Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. It's not really that strange when you consider that Peter saw himself in the presence of the Messiah and realized he did not have any business being in the presence of the Messiah. Remember the message of the Old Testament. The message up to this point was, stand back. The message at Mount Sinai was, get back. But Jesus came to say, no, come near. I want you to draw close. I want a relationship with you. I want to be in the boat with you. I want to ask you this morning, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? I mean, here, here's where all of this is leading. Verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Left everything including a tremendous amount of money when you think about all the fish that was still there that he walked away from. And the reason why is because an encounter with Jesus changes everything, doesn't it? We see that over and over again in Scripture. When people encounter Jesus, it changed them in some way. Even if they decided not to follow, it still changed them. And it all starts with if you say so. And so I want to ask you this morning, what's holding you back? What's keeping you from going all in as a disciple? What's keeping you from getting out of the boat? Is it fear? Is it fear? Is that what's tethering you to your own little comfortability and your own little comfortable world? Is that what's keeping you from stepping out and getting in the boat? Well, if so, remember that Jesus said himself, do not be afraid. God said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Should fear hold you back? Is it knowledge? Some people, you know, they, they, they're fearful of stepping out because they don't feel like they have the knowledge. Well, whose fault is that? You have all the material readily available right here. So whose fault is that? If knowledge is keeping you from stepping out, then learn. Open the book. Or is it life? Maybe life is holding you back. You know, just day-to-day -day life. Life gets in the way. My job, you know, kids, school, whatever it is. But remember, you're a slave to the schedule that you create. So at some point, the church has to win. And if this is supposed to be the most important relationship in your life, then when is it going to win, right? For too many Christians, they have immersed themselves in the waters of baptism, but they have not in turn immersed themselves in a life of discipleship. And that's sad. Because it's not just about getting baptized, it's about being a disciple. It's about being all in as a follower of Jesus. 
Let me ask you this. Is your life any different now than what it was before you were a Christian? Is your life any different now than before you were a Christian? Maybe you come to church more. Maybe you pray more. Maybe you read the Bible more. But other than that, is your life really any different? And if it's not, then why is that? Shouldn't that tell you something? If your life is not any different now as a Christian than it was before you were a Christian, maybe, maybe the devil doesn't see you as a threat. When we think about discipleship, when we think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we have to remember the words of Peter, if you say so. I'm all in regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what being all in brings me. I'm all in. We serve an if-you-say-so Savior, don't we? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke's Gospel tells us that he was grieved to the point of death, that he was sweating drops of blood. He was so anxious, so stressed by the occasion that was about to happen. He was about to go to the cross, right? The cross was looming and he was suffering. And in essence, he asked God if there's any other way. If this can be accomplished through any other person or any other way, please let it happen. But if you say so, if you say so, I'll do it. And he did, right? Because we serve an if-you-say-so Savior. That at the end of the day, no matter how difficult, no matter how much of a struggle it is, he's all in. This is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that starts with an encounter. And there are many people who have encountered baptism. There are many people who have encountered a Bible. Or who have encountered maybe some spiritual disciplines like prayer. But they haven't encountered Jesus. They haven't invested completely in a relationship with Him. Have you read about Him? That's great. But do you know him? I was reading a story the other day, a true story about a preacher who was on a plane. And the guy sitting next to him had a book that he was reading. The preacher noticed it was the history of Christianity. And so the preacher struck up a conversation with him. And he said, uh, you know, I noticed you're reading that book. He said, I'm a minister. And the man began talking to him freely about Christianity, about Jesus, about God. He was quoting scripture after scripture, and the the preacher assumed that he was a fellow preacher or at least a Bible professor. And the gentleman says, actually, I'm I'm not a Christian. He said, "I, I started studying the Bible when I was about six years old. I'm 56 now, and it just, I've never, I've never really bought in. He said, I really, I really just can't see it. I just can't see myself going all in in a relationship with God or Jesus. I just can't get there. Well, it's a three-hour flight, and so the preacher in his mind thought, well, I have three hours to convince this guy. And so he took that guy's knowledge, and he built on that knowledge. He preached the gospel to him. He made it personal, and with a little time left on the flight, the gentleman looks at the man, and he says, what's holding me back? And the preacher repeated that question. He said, yeah, what's holding you back? Well, as fate would have it, a God thing, the destination they were both going to, the preacher was preaching a meeting in that town. 
And so he called ahead of the church. He said, is somebody there? I've got somebody who wants to be baptized. And so he takes the gentleman up to the church. They baptize him. The gentleman comes up out of the water dripping wet, and he looks at the preacher, and he says, you know, my wife's not even going to recognize me when I get home. That gentleman got on that plane that day with a lot of knowledge. He also got on that plane dead. You realize that, don't you? Because you are dead outside of Christ. And it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, how much you know about Jesus, or how much you know factually about God. I don't care if you can quote Scripture after Scripture, or if you know the Bible like the back of your hand. If you don't have a relationship, then you are dead. And that gentleman got on that plane that day with a lot of facts, with a lot of information, but he was dead spiritually. Up to that moment, the Bible was a story about other people. Now it's his story. And remember, we talked about that last Sunday night. As long as you keep the Bible out here and make it about other people, you'll never truly understand its meaning and its purpose. That man got on that plane, and he walked off of it a changed man. There's a difference in knowing and having a relationship. There's a difference between acknowledging and following. There's a difference between being an admirer and being a full-on follower. There's a difference in believing and dying for. Which one of those describes you? The call for all people everywhere. I hear, I hear so often people saying, well, you know, I've, just, I've got to figure out my calling. Okay, we'll go to the Bible because it's right there. The call is to be a disciple and to glorify God. Are you doing that? Are you exemplifying an if-you-say-so lifestyle? And if not, what's holding you back? Are you any different today than you were before you were a Christian? And if not, then something's got to change. And let us help you with that change. Come as we stand and as we sing.